Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, it's good to be with you tonight, and uh, such a privilege to bring the word. I never take it for granted the great honour it is to stand in this pulpit and uh, it wasn't necessarily the plan, uh, the schedule for me to preach tonight, but it was on God's agenda, I believe. Um, Not because of uh, my preaching skills, which are pretty low, let's be honest, but uh, but because, uh, because I believe God's given me a word tonight that is in season and uh, I God has been speaking to me about this the last couple of weeks. And so when I got the news that I was up this evening, I had no doubt in my mind that this was what God wanted to be released for the wider church. I have uh, shared portions of this with different teams and uh, the last couple of weeks. And so now I believe it's time for it to get out to the body of Christ and our family of Numa. So uh, I want you to grab your Bible and your notepad or whatever it is to take notes. Put Do not disturb on whatever device you're watching this on and get a hold of the Word tonight. I'm going to take you to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And we're going to read from verses 1 to 6. And here the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. The predominant voice over the last 20 months or so in our city, in our state, in our nation, and uh, I believe even across the nations of the world has been the voice of fear. And so as I went back to this story in Judges 6, I began to see the similarities between the oppression of the Midianites upon the people of Israel and the spirit of fear that has oppressed our world for the best part of two years. But I also saw the incredible providence and kindness of God to use a man who was beset with fear to fight the war on fear. And so tonight I want to share on the war on fear. I want to show you from Judges chapter 6 and 7 that the war we are in right now is the people of God. In chapter 6, we will expose fear for what it really is. But in chapter 7, we will discover how we can win this war on fear. You know, fear can cause you to do crazy things. In fact, there have been studies that show what happens to us and our psychological capabilities in a moment of fear and panic. Regardless of how high your IQ is, in a moment of fear or panic, your IQ virtually plummets to nothing. 
But rather than bore you with all the scientific studies and details that, let's face it, are beyond my IQ, why don't we watch a short clip that will demonstrate this point perfectly? What's going So good, so many hours spent uh, just watching people make fools of themselves. Um, fear makes us do crazy things, right? In all of those examples there, I'm sure that those people under normal circumstances, you know, don't have trouble getting in the car, you know, or don't have trouble, you know, throwing eggs across the kitchen and so on and so forth. But fear causes us to do some pretty strange things. And as we introduce to our main character in Judges chapter 6, a man by the name of Gideon, we find him doing something very strange due to fear as well. In chapter 6 and verse 11, we read, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the terebinth tree at Ophrah, while Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The first thing I want you to write down about fear tonight is that fear is restricting. Fear is restricting. See, a wine press is a terrible place to thresh out wheat. A wine press is this small enclosed pit where people or cattle would tread on the grapes in order to extract the wine. A threshing floor, on the other hand, is this wide, open, flat, hard rock. And it wasn't that Gideon didn't have access to a threshing floor. In fact, we read about later in this chapter that he uses a threshing floor to test God with the fleece of wool. But perhaps we could say that he's just trying to do his best in the circumstances. Maybe we could praise Gideon for showing some sort of innovation and initiative by using a wine press to thresh out the weeds just to get the job done. He's just getting enough grain to survive. Not too much harvest that would attract enemy attention, but just enough to survive. A wine press makes a poor threshing floor also because uh, it's enclosed. See, a threshing floor was open and in this wide open space so that the natural wind could come and do its work and blow away the chaff and the dross from the wheat and leave the good kernels of grain behind. I don't know about you, but the last 20 months has felt something like threshing out wheat in a wine press. You know, we've been in restrictions and lockdown and most of us are just doing what we can to survive, just to get through. 
I'll be honest, doing church online feels like threshing wheat in a wine press. Yes, it's great that we have the technology and the innovation to be able to you know, spread the Word and get it out into people's homes and worship in our homes, but this is like wheat in a wine press. Like Gideon, we're just doing what we can in the circumstances. And though in the natural we might be coming out of restrictions, fear would love to keep us penned in. Just like the Israelites. Remember, at this point in their history, they're already in the promised land. But fear of the enemy has caused them to live an enclosed, isolated life in the caves and the dens of the mountains out of fear of the enemy. Fear would love to keep you restricted. The spirit of fear would love to keep you hemmed in, cut off and isolated. And yet, in this place of fear and restriction, Gideon has an encounter with God. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon in verse 12 and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. Now, scholars debate whether he actually used the term mighty man of valour or whether he just said his name, Gideon. Because Gideon means fella, not he's a jolly good fella, but is in fella as in someone who cuts down trees, like a fella of trees. Gideon means fella of warriors. So simply by saying his name, it awakened him to who he really was. Not a timid kid hiding out in a cave away from the enemy, but a mighty warrior. See, prophecy is not simply telling you what to do. It's about awakening who you are. Before Gideon had even set foot on a battlefield, he was called a mighty man of valour. Right there in the restriction of the wine press, Gideon's identity is restored. His calling is articulated and his vision is elevated. And in that place of fear, he sets up an altar as a result of this encounter and calls it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And his first assignment after this encounter is to restore proper worship. Before he came up with a battle plan and recruited an army and gave the signal to attack, God's first assignment for this mighty man of valour was to restore, restore true worship. See, number two thing I want you to note about fear tonight is that fear is misplaced worship. Fear is misplaced worship. In verses 25 to 26, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and that second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And you build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here and with stones laid out in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Before Gideon could go on into war against fear, he had to deal with the root of the problem and it began in his own household. See, fear is nothing but idolatry. It's elevating something to a greater stature than God. The Bible presents us with two types of fear, the fear of man and the fear of God. Now, the fear of God is so often misunderstood because we look at it through the lens of the fear of man, through our punishment paradigm. 
It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit. And then God came down as He always did in the cool of the day. And He says to Adam and Eve, where are you? And Adam said to him, I heard your sound in the cool of the day and I was afraid, so I hid myself. And all of a sudden, the punishment paradigm entered into the human psyche. I've done something bad and I must be punished. But the fear of God is not one of punishment, but one of protection. It is a healthy reverence to the holiness and magnificence of God. For me, the fear of God is encapsulated beautifully in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, where it says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do you confidently ask for mercy? That seems like an oxymoron right there. I'm confidently asking for mercy. Well, the fear of God means that I can confidently ask for mercy. I'm confident in your grace, but I recognise that I need your mercy. Oswald Chambers said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Worldly fear is restrictive, it's isolating, it holds you captive. A godly fear is free and peaceful and safe. Gideon had to destroy the altar of fear in order to restore true and proper worship. See, before you can fight the war on fear, you need to have peace with God. Before you fight against fear, you need peace with God. But even in doing this action, this first assignment, Gideon had still not conquered his internal fear. We read in verse 27 and verse 28, so Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. This is the third thing I want you to write down about fear tonight is that fear operates in the dark. Fear operates in the dark. A few years ago, back on a trip in the UK, Beck and I were there and we visited Warwick Castle, which is an old, old castle in England. And they've beautifully maintained it. And now it's a great tourist attraction. If you're ever there, go check it out. Um, but one part of the castle that you can explore is the old dungeon. And so what they've done is they've made this dungeon an interactive experience. And so you can go down into the dungeon and they've got live actors down there and mannequins and props and all sorts of things going on and it's pitch black. Like you really get a sense of how scary it would have been to be imprisoned in a place like that. And because it's pitch black, it seems like around every turn, every corner, they've got someone or something ready to jump out of you and scare the living daylights out of you. Now, if that place was beautifully lit, if it had bright lights and, and if they had a guide that was showing you around and a map and, and signs to tell you what was around the next corner, it wouldn't have been half as scary as an experience. But it's what's hidden that haunts you. Once it's exposed, it loses its power to frighten and ensnare you. As long as it's hidden, it has power over you. But once it's out in the open, once it's in the light, its power quickly evaporates. 
This was the mission of Jesus. In John 1 verse 4, in Him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now there's so much more that we could unpack in Judges chapter six, but time won't allow us to do that tonight. We need to get into Judges seven and discover the keys to facing this foe of fear. In chapter seven, we discover that our, we- our weapon against fear is faith. Our weapon against fear is faith. See, if fear is restricting, number one, faith is releasing. Faith is releasing. If you read verses one to eight of chapter seven, we don't have time to do that tonight, but God had to sift out fear from Gideon's army. See, Gideon had gone throughout the land recruiting for his army, and yet two thirds of that army that he recruited was overcome with fear. In fact, they had to send 22,000 of them back home because of fear, because fear begets fear. Fear will attract more fear. So if you're spouting fear, if you're speaking fear, if you're emanating fear, you will attract people like that around you as well. If you discover that you're getting caught up in fearful things, then maybe look around at the people that are surrounding you and get around people of a different language, people of a different spirit, because fear simply begets fear. God had to sift his army of fear because like the saying goes, you can't fight fire with fire. Well, you can't fight fear with fear. God had had actually put a provision in Mosaic law for people to be excluded from military service. We often think of those ones who were recently married or bought property or acquired a vineyard. They were allowed to stay at home and excluded from military service. But in Deuteronomy 20 verse eight, we actually find that those who were fearful and afraid were also told to stay home. It says, because lest he make the heart of his fellows melt like his own. We're engaged in spiritual warfare and there is no demilitarized zone. There is no neutral territory and it's not for the faint hearted. And we certainly can't battle against fear if we are overcome with it within ourselves. And I believe that God is using this sifting season to release us from those people, places and things that perpetuate our fear. See, Gideon could have felt comfort in numbers in that way. He went around doing his campaign and getting people to the cause But God said, no, that's not how we're gonna do it. You're not gonna overcome fear with numbers, with statistics, with research, with what you can discover on your own. Faith for Gideon meant releasing control. And understand that whilst fear is contagious, so is courage. Billy Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. 
That's why we need to get around some brave people. We need to get around some courageous spiritual people. You know, even in this season that's been so isolating, it can so be so easy to cocoon ourselves in fear. We need to get around now as restrictions open up and, and we can gather once again as a body of Christ. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, it's time to come together as a body of Christ again and be encouraged and built up as fellow believers and, and encourage one another in our most holy faith. Not fear, but faith. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We need to activate that spirit that God has placed inside of us. And we do that, it tells us in verse six, fan into flame the gift that God has placed into you. Get out of the wine press, that enclosed space, get onto the threshing floor, allow the spirit to do his work and sweep away the dross and sweep away the chaff and all the things that have been built up so that he can do his work in us. Fan into flame that spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. If fear is misplaced worship, number two, faith is fearless worship. Faith is fearless worship. We read in nine to verses nine to 15 back in, in Judges chapter seven. Despite here, Gideon has been called a mighty man of valour. He's a fella of warriors. Despite God's continued assurances that He is gonna be with him and that the, that the victory will come, despite uh, the repeated tests that God has been patient enough to allow Gideon to take him through, despite even being clothed, it says, with the Spirit of God, Gideon still harbours some fears and doubts. So God in His grace allowed Gideon one more assurance and it comes straight from the enemy's camp. In verse nine, God says, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So Gideon goes down to the enemy camp. Verse 13, it says, A man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned itself upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So we need to be reminded tonight that the enemy knows he's defeated. He knows he's defeated even more so than we know that at times. But as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. He worshipped. Whose report will you believe? You know, with the 24-hour news cycle, with social media, with talkback radio, with all the opinions that are out there in the world, you can't move for getting a different opinion right now. Whether it's in the supermarket, you're in the barber's chair, someone's gonna give you their opinion of what's right and what's wrong. Whose report are you gonna believe? You have to make a decision to feed your faith and starve your fear. Feed your faith and starve your fear. 
See, if you're constantly feeding on the negativity, the calamity and the despair, and you're only giving yourselves meager portion of the Word of God, it won't be long before your fear devours your faith. But if the Word of God dwells within you richly, the peace of God, it says, will rule in your heart. If you feed your faith, you'll starve your fear. As soon as Gideon heard the report from the enemy's camp, his faith was built up and he worshipped. If fear is misplaced worship, then faith is fearless worship. I learned the value of fearless worship in the season where our daughter Ari was born. And Ari was actually born three months premature. And so the first three months of her life were pretty much spent in a neonatal ICU and special care. And I remember in the week preceding her birth and they were trying to slow things down and stop the labor and keep her in as long as possible. We had to have conversations with doctors that you just never wanna have as parents. You know, uh, conversations about mortality rates and chances of survival and and even if she did survive, what her development may or may not look like and what the outcomes might not be and the choices that we had to make. I remember then she was, she did come a week later and we quickly learned, or at least I did, how to read oxygen stats and, and look at heart rate monitors and your own heart would stop every time that thing flatlined for 10, 20 seconds as they revived her. And basically she had to learn outside of the womb how things worked. And, and uh, I remember, you know, we had to, this feeling and we had to watch and, and listen as another family just across the room from us grieved their own precious little one not making it through the night. Talk about fear versus faith. And I remember pacing the corridors of that hospital, just newly into ministry and trying to start up young adults ministry and a whole bunch of other things. And you know, this sort of stuff doesn't, it's not supposed to happen to you. You read about it in other people's lives, but when it happens to you, and I remember pacing those hallways and all I could do was just worship. All I could do was Say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's in moments like that that you're glad that you were forced to learn memory verses as a kid. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I remember the song that God gave me in that season was a song called Take Heart. And it says... So take heart and let his love lead you through the night. Hold on to hope and take courage again. In that moment, you learn what fearless worship is. Faith means fearless worship. I remember months later, we were reflected on it, Beck and I, and we were like, how on earth did we get through that? <laughs> you, you look back on what God has brought you through and you realize that he gives you enough faith for the fear that's in front of you. God was so kind and he led us through that valley and Ari is now a nine-year-old walking, talking, singing, hugging miracle and, and uh, we're so grateful for what God has done. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, arise, 
for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. So now the night comes where he gets the now word from God. Go get pitchers and put oil lamps in them because lastly, if fear operates in darkness, faith releases light. Faith releases light. The team can join me back on stage again as we bring this to a close. Faith releases light. See, when they broke those pitchers, it made a sound and it released lights. Notice how broken vessels release lights and sound. The enemy heard these sounds of the pitchers being broken and I'm sure that they would have heard like thousands of swords being drawn on the mountains and they looked up from their tents and the, the sky was filled with light with the radiance of a response of worship and in this response of worship, the dimensions of sound and light are being engaged in warfare. And then 300 horns blew. Now in those days, the only people that carried and used horns in battle were captains of thousands. Captains of thousands. So the enemy naturally thought when they heard 300 horns that there was 300,000 soldiers on the mountaintop as well. The Bible says that one shall put a thousand to flight and two shall put 10,000 to flight. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That tells me that the authority that you carry is to lead thousands, is to go against thousands. You might feel like you don't have much. You might feel like you're up against a vast army, but with God on your side, you're always in the majority. There on that battlefield, the sound of the heavens were resonating with the purpose of God because one guy whose name did not mean hide out in a cave away from the enemy and barely survive, but out of restoration of worship, not only was he able to conquer his own fear, all of God's people were awakened to the power and plans and purposes of God for their lives. In verse 20, they held in their left hands the torches and in the right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Notice they didn't even carry swords, but their weapon was their praise. Verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. Stand in your place and watch the salvation of God. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. If God can use someone like Gideon, a man carrying in a wine press, eking out a mere morsel of bread, doing enough to just barely get by, a man who doubted himself and questioned his place in the world, a man who needed reassurance after reassurance every step and every turn. If God can use someone like him to fight the war on fear, I have no doubt that God can use you and me. Choose today to feed your feet, fear, faith sorry, and starve your fear. Feed your faith and starve your fear. You do this by feeding yourself on the Word of God. Declare the promises of God each and every day. Put away Facebook and Instagram and the news for just a moment and pick up the Word of God and get it in your spirit. 
Read Romans 8 verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor viruses, nor vaccines, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not only do all these things fail to separate us from the love of God, they make us conquerors as they force us to rely on our God. If you want to be a conqueror, you have to overcome something. If you want to be a conqueror, you have to overcome something. Choose today to feed your faith and starve your fear. Where fear has been restricting, stir up your faith to be released into the world. Where fear has been an idolatrous elevation of something other than God in your life, stir up faith to become an anthem of worship and a war cry of praise. Where fear has operated in darkness in your life, stir up faith to release light and push back the darkness and put the enemy on the run. Wherever you are right now, would you stand to your feet? I'm gonna pray for faith to be released right across the church tonight. For faith to be released in your homes, whenever you're or wherever you're listening to this right now. Would you open your arms and your hands and receive a spirit of faith in this moment? God, I thank You that right now, oh God, You are giving us a spirit of faith to come against the enemy of fear. Right now we speak to the enemy and we say this far and no further. We stand and we choose to see and declare the salvation of our God. Where the enemy has come up like a flood, You will rise a standard of faith against it. You will raise an army of faith-filled believers to push back on the enemy's plans. I thank You, God, that You have not made our weapons carnal, oh God, but You have made them powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. Lord, I thank You for Your promises in Your Word. I thank You for Nahum 1.7 that says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. I thank You for Psalm 84 verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk in Him blameless. I thank You for Isaiah 40.29, where You give strength to the weary and increase the power of the weak. I thank You for Isaiah 43.2, when You pass through the waters, I will be with You. And when You pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over You. When You walk through the fire, You will not be burned. The flames will not set You ablaze. I thank You for Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord Himself goes before you and He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I thank You for Philippians 4 verse 6 and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. I thank You that You've done it. I thank You that right now where fear has prevailed, faith is beginning to win. I thank You that in Numa Church right now, 
Lord, faith is beginning to rise up like never before. You're raising up an army of people who will do battle, who will do great wonders and do exploits in the Name of our God. Right now we declare and we lift up a war cry of praise. We lift up a banner of praise. We lift up our worship and say, God, come have your way in Jesus' Name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.